Hello, and welcome to Eyes on Success, a weekly program of information on the ever-changing world of accessibility. Now here are the hosts of this program, Nancy Goodman Torpe and Peter Torpe. Hello, I'm Nancy. And I'm Pete. As many of our listeners know, I've been visually impaired since I was a youth, but it's very different losing your vision when you get older. Today, we'll speak with someone who lost their vision later in life. We'll speak with Kelly Egan about how she adapted to her new situation by attending a vocational rehabilitation program to acquire the life skills she needed and went on to become a successful professional. But first, for our tip of the week, this week's tip comes from Kelly Egan. It troubles me that the unemployment rate is so high for people who are blind or low vision because it doesn't really have to be. I just feel like there's an opportunity to help lift people up and, you know, lift up their confidence to step out and be more engaged in their lives. And I don't mean to have judgment on the life, their lives at all. It's just there's so much to offer that that maybe they're not embracing. There are a lot of resources out there that aren't being used as well as they should be used. Mm-hmm. Well, and the other thing is, you know, there are lots of other people out there who just don't have the imagination to say, oh, yeah, I guess a blind person could do this if they could figure out a different way to do it. And they're forever telling the blind people, well, you can't do that because you're blind. Mm-hmm. And I think it really takes some fortitude to say, well, I heard you say that, but I'm not taking that as an answer. Right, right. Yeah. And, and you know, you need to be patient. I mean, that's one of the gifts that blindness brings is patience. Holy cow, right? To learn things sometimes. As, as a disability group, I think we've bought into the concept that we can't work, that we're not confident or capable as a whole. Otherwise, it wouldn't be 70% unemployment. Yes. So I think there's two sides to the equation on it, not just the corporations, you know, that there's certainly some issues there, but on the individual side that haven't chosen to show the corporations what great work they can do. And in the rest of the show, we'll talk more with Kelly about how she successfully negotiated changes in life and a career as she went through vision loss later in life. Support for Eyes on Success is provided by Ira, an app that remotely connects people who are blind or have low vision to trained agents for access to visual information. Details are available at 1-800-835-1934. You are listening to Eyes on Success. 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 Let's start by meeting Kelly. Hi, this is Kelly Egan. Um, I work for Sprint. I live in San Diego, California, and I am very low vision and am glad to be here talking with you today. And your position at Sprint is? My position at Sprint is an outreach manager doing outreach for the blind and low vision community, customer relations in this community. And you lost your vision later in life, I take it. 
Were you initially diagnosed as being potentially blind early in life? No. Uh uh-uh. Gosh, it's been about 10 years since I admitted it. I was diagnosed about nine years ago uh, with cone rod dystrophy. And so I had been losing my vision, but I was really stubborn about admitting it. And then, you know, till I got to a point where I really couldn't fake it anymore. And so I, did, I lost my vision um, beginning at age 50. Wow. So that was quite a surprise. That came out of the blue. <laughs> it did. It did come out of the blue. And uh, I was quite a visual person and uh, loved, you know, design and all those types of things. And, well, one thing I like to think about is I wonder if it's harder to unlearn to be sighted or to learn to be blind. Those are two different things. I think they're two totally separate things. <laughs> right, right. What was your job at the time? Did that impact your ability to perform your job? I worked for a different company at the time. I was working for a um, staffing company. I was a senior manager in a staffing organization at the time. And I left that position and then went to vocational rehab to get back on my game. And so um, I took that time to really just learn how to do some of the things I needed to learn how to do and then started doing some consulting for Sprint because they approached me through one of my other contacts. And that's kind of how that all unfolded. I, I left one job, took some time to learn how to figure out how to get around and be blind and then did some contracting for Sprint and then got hired by Sprint. Oh, great. So that's how you wound up where you are now, helping a lot of visually impaired people. Yep. And actually, before that, that's I missed a job in there. I worked for Getting Hired, which is a online service for companies to hire people with disabilities. That was a job I did for about a year after Boke Rehab, and then Sprint came along. Great. Support for Eyes on Success is made possible in part by our corporate partners. Find out more about partnership opportunities by sending an email to hosts at eyesonsuccess.net. This week's focus topic is how Kelly learned to adapt to her blindness and got back in the workforce. So I've told our listeners many times in this show that I almost consider myself fortunate to have been diagnosed as being blind since I was born. I had limited vision when I was young, so I could hold a book several inches from my nose, and I didn't actually go blind until I went to graduate school. But by then, I had a good idea of what the world looked like, what vision was like. And also, I was plugged into the various resources and services that are available to people with limited vision. But I think it's much more difficult to lose your vision later in life, it seems. How was that transition for you? Actually, I did a pretty good job of it, I've got to say. Um, I tend to be an optimistic person. And interestingly, I started a company back in about 99 with four other women. We went and got venture capital in Chicago. And I was the CEO of this company. And it was called Higher Potential. And Higher Potential was a staffing firm that hired people with disabilities. And that was before you had any idea that you were going to lose your vision? 
Yes, that was before I had any idea that I was going to lose my eyesight at all. And it was just that I felt that it was a really important thing. Unemployment was low. We thought it was a good business idea. We felt that we could, as business people, do a better job of speaking to corporations than, say, Voc Rehab could to really open up the doors um, for blind and all sorts of disabilities you know, in computer services, et cetera. We worked with IBM and Hewlett Packard and so on and so forth. And that company's still around today doing some consulting and also staffing for corporations with people with disabilities. Prior to getting into that job, did you have experience with visually impaired people or some relationship with the visually impaired? No. So you guys were just sort of social entrepreneurs in some sense. Yes, yes. And that was fun. It was great. And it's still around today. And it gave me experience in working with blind and low vision people and and people with disabilities of all kinds. And, you know, I I laughed because, you know, I really thought I knew everything. And while we are not good with people with disabilities, and then (laughs) then it became me. And I'm like, wow, I really didn't know a thing about it. (laughs) So really, until you experience it, I don't really think you can get it or understand it. That is certainly a little different. What was your first inkling that you were going to have some difficulty with your eyesight? You know, I I would say in my late 40s, I was, like I said, I tried to deny it and ignore it as long as I could, but my eyesight kept getting worse. And I realized, I'm like, huh, I don't see colors right now. I wonder why that is. So I had done a hike out of the Grand Canyon. And when I came out of there, you know, that seven mile vertical trail, You know, when I woke up in that morning, I couldn't see anything. It was black. Everything was black. Now, again, I thought that was just from the hike out and that went away and so on and so forth. So that might have been the beginning, but I wouldn't have ever um, connected it at that point. So I don't know. So you must have had more incidents like that where your vision was some kind of issue. What was the tipping point for you in saying, hey, I really have a problem here? I was driving in my car with my daughter and going, you know, saying, and that light is green. (laughs) You know, I hung on as long as I could. I couldn't see the color of streetlights. It's difficult to accept the fact that one might be losing their vision. I can understand there's a great deal of denial, especially these days. I mean, you were so reliant on your vision for all of your life, and driving must have been a big thing. You don't easily give that up. Yes. My God, I love driving and I love cars. So that was hard to let go of. So how did you eventually get into the rehab system and realize that you needed some help? What was your first step into that arena? Well, um, fortunately, you know, having worked with people with disabilities, I had an in through one of the partners at Higher Potential, you know, really had worked a lot with the vocational rehab services and all. At the time I was in Colorado, and introduced me into the Colorado Voc Rehab System. So I met with them and then began a six-month program, I believe. I saw a lot more then than I do now, but I, you know, learned the basics of life skills and orientation and mobility and all that, you know, that you learn in vocational rehab. And then I thought I wanted to go maybe back to school or try something 
you know, different. I took about a, you know, year to really define what I wanted to do. And then I went to work with uh, getting hired and then with Sprint. It sounds like this vocational rehabilitation program that you attended in Colorado was quite a benefit to you, and you learned quite a lot. For people who haven't been through that experience and might be reticent about signing up for something like that, can you describe a little bit about what that experience was about and what you actually did there, what you learned? Sure. Well, the first thing is it's free. So getting free services to learn how to live your life more safely and more easily and, you know, with more confidence, I can't imagine why you wouldn't take advantage of it. You know, you went daily to programs. You know, I learned things like taking the bus that, you know, I never did when I was sighted because I always had great cars and using a white cane and, you know, orientation and mobility. They teach you some defense tactics, you know, if, if you want to learn how to defend yourself, if you need to. Um, there was Braille classes, and then they helped you look for funding. If you wanted to go back to school, you know, and get into schools, they would help you with doing that. In cooking, you had some cooking classes, and you met other blind people which was really good too, that we're in the beginning stage of learning how to do things. And that's, I'd say part of the, the learning as well is just, you know, sharing with people, you know, how you struggle. Right. Right. I'm surprised that they taught you Braille. I would guess that's tougher to learn later in life. I learned it when I was a kid and I didn't use it again until I was in graduate school, but boy, learning that must've been difficult. I didn't. They taught it. But I didn't choose to learn it at that point in my life. I agree with you. It was just too much to take on. Well, I must admit, although I did learn Braille because I went to a school for the blind until I was in fifth grade, because I did rely on my vision through most of my education, I'm not the best Braille reader in the world. And <laughs> most of my Braille use now is for labeling the microwave or yeah, right. maybe writing down a phone number or the washing machine. Yep. Did they teach you at all about some accessible technologies like screen magnification, talking computers, talking iPhones? Yes, they did. We had I, technology classes. And so learned about things like JAWS or voiceover for the computers or magnification stuff. You know, they show you what a CCTV is so that you can use magnify um uh, documents and, and read documents in magnification, et cetera. So they take a look at you and they assess you and, you know, then teach you the things that probably align best with, you know, your level of blindness. Well, what's neat to realize is that, especially these days, there are a lot of tools out there available to assist people with vision impairments. And you just have to choose the right combination that are right for you. You don't mm -hmm. necessarily have to use all of them or become an expert. Which do you rely on these days? Well, thank you. I, I rely on my guide dog, Hope. That's number one, best thing I've ever gotten in my life. And number two, uh, my iPhone. I live by myself. I'm fully independent. I travel around the country for my job at Sprint. 
you know, basically it's my iPhone and my dog. I use a Mac computer and I have a CCTV, which magnifies documents. You know, I use fairly basic things like, you know, sticking dots on my microwave or whatever it might be. That makes things a lot easier. <laughs> right, exactly. We have dots on everything. <laughs> yes. We wish they would just stick and stay forever, you know. Well, well. So those are the things that keep me most independent. So after you finished your training at the Vocational Rehabilitation Center, what was the next step? You knew you were on to better things and you could lead life independently being visually impaired? What happened? I was living with a friend at that time, but I got my dog and that really changed my life. I'm definitely a guide dog person and that was really wonderful to go to guide dogs for the blind and learn how to work with my guide dog. And um, then I worked from home at that time and um, got the job with getting hired and I used Uber at the time, you know, to go to and from places I needed to be and was just learning to work with my dog and uh, was employed right away and went on with life. Wow, good for you. This sounds like a real success story <laughs> for people who might find themselves in this situation. Well, you know, what else are you going to do? <laughs> I mean, I didn't want to, you know, sit around and sulk. I started another company as well, just a wine accessory company. And I did that for, I, I, that's still going, but I got that going as well. It's called Wine Veil. That's fun for me because I can be creative in that. What kind of products does Wine Veil make? It, it's designed to keep bugs out of your wine. So it's fabric with weighted corners that lays over a wine glass, and it's really pretty and multiple colors and so on and so forth. And so that's my little side creative business that I love to keep running. Oh, what a clever idea. So then you drink right through the mesh? No, you take it off when you drink. Ah. You just put it over your glass while you're outside, for example. You can see it at winevale.com. But, you know, you talk about this great attitude you had, you know, like, what else are you going to do in life? You got to get on and develop the tools you need to succeed. Yeah. And, you know, that's been basically my attitude. I mean, I happen to be blind, but that doesn't really define me. No. And that's part of the reason we do this show. I mean, I went to graduate school and wound up being a research physicist at Xerox for many years. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the idea is you don't have to be out on the corner selling pencils if you're blind. You can do almost anything if you just put your mind to it, learn the tools and accept the fact and figure out how to do it. Right. I absolutely agree. And um, it's very doable, too. It's very doable. Sure, it's frustrating at times. I mean, it's really frustrating at times. But you know, you figure it out and you learn all sorts of good things. You know, I also am certified life coach and I did a uh, workshop at California Council of the Blind a couple weeks ago. And but the first question I asked was, let's get to know each other. Tell me your name. Tell me where you live and tell me what's your favorite thing about being blind. And everyone kind of groaned, like, oh, God, well, no one's ever asked me that, you know. <laughs> and then everyone went around the room and figured something out that they were grateful about being blind. 
And what kind of responses do you get to that question? I got interesting responses. Um, One person said, I like being recognized and noticed because people see me walking around and know my guide dog. So they know me. So I like being known and recognized. Someone else said, I don't like anything about it because I'm a person. I'm not blind. Um, someone else said, I like that I can look in the mirror and not see wrinkles. <laughs> that was good. Or I, I said, I like to get on Southwest Airlines in the front of the line. I like that about being blind. You that know? isn't so bad. <laughs> right. Pete mentioned, I believe, that I'm fully sighted, but he's totally blind. And we go around a lot together. And my favorite part of Pete being blind is that it really brings out the nice side of everybody else. Mm -hmm. Just the other day, we were walking out of a building and we had to get through this entire busload of little kids and a couple of camp counselors to get from the door to the sidewalk. And the camp counselors just hopped into action and they moved all the kids and everybody was happy. And I find myself saying thank you to people who just spontaneously are nice because they realize there's a blind guy coming. Yep, I think you're right. And that is one of the things, uh, you know, that to be thankful for because people are very willing to help. And Sometimes I, I find myself, one thing I think I can learn to do is be more uh, accepting of help sometimes because I feel like I get overmanaged sometimes by people. Yes. But, mm-hmm. you know, they're just trying to help. And I need to just lighten up and say, no, no, yes, thank you. That would be great. It's hard to ask for help and to learn how to ask for help sometimes because we all like to be independent and think we can do things ourselves. Yep. But, you know, as you said, people enjoy helping. I've been on street corners before waiting for a friend with my cane and just standing there when some person would come up and say, oh, Sonny, would you like me to help you cross the street? And I'd say, no, I'm waiting for a friend. Oh, let me help you cross the street. And they'd insist. <laughs> and I'd eventually let them help me walk across the street And then once I was to the other side, I would wait long enough until I thought they were gone and then walk myself back. But they got the joy of helping, (laughs) and I got the joy of knowing that people like to help. Yeah. (laughs) Well, that was big of you. I'm not sure I would have done that. (laughs) (laughs) I hate to discourage people from helping because people, you know, should be encouraged to help. Yeah, that's a great idea. That's a good point. And how has your blindness affected your job? And reaction by colleagues? Well, this is a great question, and it's going to be a weird answer. I wouldn't have this job if I wasn't blind. Interesting. <laughs> mm-hmm. They were looking for someone with some vision issues to help them set up their programs at Sprint. Right. So I got introduced to the director of the accessibility program, and that's when I, he hired me to contract and kind of build the program um, within the accessibility team. The accessibility team at Sprint was previously Sprint Relay, you know, all deaf and hard of hearing individuals mm-hmm. selling relay services. And then we're now called Sprint Accessibility. So it's all these um, relay people that have been there for, you know, 30 years because that business has been around a long, long time. And me, 
and my team. So we're just expanding it and really looking at ways to, you know, enhance the experience for blind and low vision people and help Sprint, well, have a broader accessibility offering. Then I guess you get quite a bit of support from colleagues and the corporation in general and yeah. quite positively received. Yes, yes. And next week, we'll have Kelly back on the show talking about these various programs from Sprint that you may find very attractive. You are listening to Eyes on Success. Success, 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 success. Now for this week's final item, how to contact Kelly Egan and how to learn more about some of her business ventures. So if people had questions for you or they'd like to contact you about dealing with vision later in life or some of what you've been through, would you like to share some of that information with our listeners? Sure. You could contact me at work at kelly.egan at sprint.com. And I'd be more than happy to, you know, connect with you. Can you spell your email address? K-E-L-L-Y dot egan e-g-a-n at s-p-r-i-n-t dot com and you mentioned a company that you had for wine connoisseurs uh-huh do you have a website for that yeah i sure do winevale w-i-n-e-v-e-i-l dot com so if you live in a buggy environment and like wine there's the place to go right right yeah, my tagline is, stop bugging me, I'm relaxing. And then you talked about this other company that you started to try to help people with disabilities get jobs? Yeah. How would people find that? That was Higher Potential, H-I-R-E Potential dot com. That's still in existence, interestingly. I hired all my people at Sprint, my contractors at Sprint, through Higher Potential. Because... Losing your vision later in life, as many of you probably know much better than we do, can be a significant life-changing event. This is not the first episode that we've done of Eyes on Success, talking with people who have made that transition. And we've spoken with actually two people who've written a book on the topic. And then we did a special show for a friend of ours who called up one day out of the blue. And he said, my vision's fine now, but the doctors are telling me that in five to 10 years, I'll be going blind. What should I do to prepare? And so we figured he wasn't the only person who would want those answers. So we made a whole show out of that. And we also did another show with a doctor who specializes in low vision. And he talked about a lot of useful resources that your ophthalmologist may not tell you about and may not even know about. We'll have links to all of those episodes along with all the contact information we previously heard in the show notes associated with this episode at www.eyesonsuccess.net. So make use of those show notes. That's it for show number 1933. Next week on Eyes on Success, we'll be talking about accessibility programs at Sprint. As we mentioned earlier, we will have Kelly Egan back on the show, but this time in her role 
as Community Relations Manager for Accessibility at Sprint about various offerings, products, plans that are specifically geared to people with vision loss and how you can take advantage of them and the benefits of doing so. If you have any questions regarding something you've heard about on the show or you'd like to share an idea for a future show, send an email to hosts at eyesonsuccess.net. You've been listening to Eyes on Success, hosted and produced by Nancy Goodman Torpy and Peter Torpy and distributed by WXXI Reach Out Radio. Browse the full archive of programs, find instructions for subscribing to the podcasts, and much more at www.eyesonsuccess.net. You can also find us on iTunes and follow us on Facebook at Eyes on Success or Twitter at underscore Eyes on Success. We hope you will join us again next week for more information and updates on products for accessible living. Thanks for listening to Eyes on Success and have a nice day.